0: Hello, all. Come, come. Join me round my flickering flame. I am so glad to see that you have returned to continue our tale. Nothing could do more to warm the heart of an old bard with a passion for magic. When last we left Embroth, he was preparing to part ways with Felon and to continue his journey home. Even as he tried to ignore his growing trepidation at the oncoming journey. Now, I again invite you to come with me as we join our hero in his trials and in his triumphs in this grand tale of gold, bones, and leather. curled up by the fire in the small hut his eyes streaming with tears he could smell the delicious scent of smoking meat and he was finally feeling his icy fingers defrost five hours previously he had been certain that his death was imminent his potions had been used up and his food stores had run out and he hadn't seen another form of life in a very long time Now he knew he would live for a little while longer. The hut was made of mud bricks, and it had a rounded exterior with a hole in the roof to allow smoke to escape. The hut was just one room, but it was very neatly organized, with a soft fur bed against one wall, a few books stacked neatly by its side, and a vast store of food sectioned off and labeled by type. The deerskin door was swept aside as Embrosk's host entered the doorway. It was a large ogre man, nearly seven feet tall, dressed in clothes of woven reeds. He had lanky limbs but well-developed ropey muscles along his arms. His horns were small, just peeking out over the top of his frizzy red hair. His complexion was fair and his dark eyes were intense. The conspicuous burns along the side of his face told a dark story that Embrosk was yet to hear. Are you comfortable? the ogre asked Embrosk in a voice that was unusually high for an ogre. Embrosk nodded silently, the tears still staining his cheeks with their salt streaks. You are not in good shape, the ogre noted, looking down at Embrosk where he lay by the fire. I will bring you food. I am uncertain if the food that I normally eat is good for humans, but I think that something is better than nothing." The ogre lumbered to the side of the fire, opposite where Embrosk lay. He used a pair of iron tongs to remove a hot stone from the center of the fire, and he plopped it into a pot. Adding water, chunks of meat, and some other ingredients, he began to cook a stew. Feeling began to come back to Embrosk's hands and feet as he warmed them by the fire. He propped himself up on his elbows and with difficulty managed to get himself into a sitting position. The ogre looked up from the stew at his cold, tired human guest. It will be ready soon, he said. Meanwhile, you can tell me your name and what you are doing here in the depths of the fallen nation of Cadman. Embrosk took a deep breath and stared into the flames, his eyes downcast, his expression desolate. My, my name is Embrask, he said. His voice was low and raspy. He had stopped crying, but his eyes still sparkled with tears. The ogre nodded, stirring the pot as he did so. His eyes remained fixed on Embrask's figure. My name is Io," he replied. Why are you here? I have not seen a human in many years. Embrosk took a deep breath, but he did not answer the question. He did not know where to begin. He did not know how to describe the strange music that had guided him off the path to home and into the forests. He cast his mind about, trying to formulate the words he needed, but he came up with nothing. Iö used a large ladle to spoon the stew into two large bowls. He handed one to Ambrosk, who took a long sip of the broth. It tasted good, and it warmed his center. Iö walked to Ambrosk and lowered himself to the floor, so that the two of them, the dark-haired human and the red-haired ogre, were sitting side by side. The ogre began to drink out of his own bowl, occasionally using his long, nimble fingers to fish out a piece of meat. After several minutes, Io broke the silence. You still have not told me why you are here, the ogre stated plainly. His question was again met with Ambrousk's silence. Ambrousk wanted to tell him. He wanted to respect his gracious host who had provided him with a fire to sit by and a warm meal to fill his belly. But the music, the music that now guided Ambrosk was not something that he could describe. How did one put words to that, to that feeling? The day after he and Felon had parted ways, Ambrosk had been walking, and he had heard something. It sounded like a gentle strumming coming just from off the side of the trail. He called out, asking who was there, but was met with no answer. Tentatively, he took a couple steps off the trail, seeking to investigate the sweet sound. He heard it again, soft, beautiful chords, which could only be several feet from where he stood. Again he followed, seeking the source of the simple yet delightful music. He continued to follow it, in a sort of trance, unaware how far he was being guided from his path. The music brought him more than calm it brought him certainty he knew in his heart of hearts that he had to find its source it was a magical drug that exceeded the potency of embrask's strongest potions the music surrounded him floating its way gently into his soul it was as if someone had lit a low burning fire in his belly and that fire was spreading its warmth to the rest of his body. Then suddenly, the music stopped. He had only an instant to grieve the loss of the delectable chords before he dropped out of consciousness. Nearly half a dozen times, he had attempted to find his way back to the ancient path that stretched from the Butserian border down into the human villages. And, every time that he had found his way, The music had pulled him from his path yet again. Every time he heard it, he knew he was close. He just needed to take a couple more steps, go a little faster. But it was always just beyond reach. What had started as a curiosity had quickly turned into an obsession. He would follow it far from his path and would be left unconscious on the floor, Still ignorant to the source of the enchanting sounds that had begun to define his life. Every time that the music left him, stranded in the middle of nowhere, cold, tired, hungry, and lost, he had promised himself that next time he would fight the urge to follow. He would ignore it. He would throw off its charms and find his way home. But as soon as he heard it, he had neither the time. Nor the will to protest, he would simply give in. Ambrosk, Io addressed him, "Are you all right?" Ambrosk jumped, shaken from his thoughts. He was vaguely aware that his eyes had glazed over, and he was quite sure that he had been swaying back and forth to the music that still played in his memory. He looked up at his host and gave a weak smile. "'I'm—I'm—I'm sorry,' he said, once again feeling tears spring to his eyes. "'I—I just—I need to—I—I can't—' Ambrosk stuttered as the red-haired ogre looked on patiently. "'I—I don't know where I am,' Ambrosk said. "'I don't know how I got here. I'm out of food. I've—I've used up my store of potions. I—I'm—I'm lost.' Io's eyebrows, as thick and red as the hair atop his head, drew together. He did not speak for several seconds, his dark eyes focused on Embrosk, who suddenly felt sure he had said something wrong. Io's eyes flitted back and forth between Embrosk and the ground. He seemed uncertain. With a deep breath, he looked up and met Embrosk's eyes. Eat your fill here and take your rest. I will get you supplies, and you will leave in the morning. It was respectful, but Ambrousk was aware that this was a dismissal, something that did not match with the ogre's hospitality so far. Fearful of what it could mean for him to again be alone in the wilderness, Ambrousk opened his mouth, unsure of whether to argue or to beg. Whatever words he was about to say disappeared before they were uttered. There, in the background, there was a gentle strumming. It could have only been just outside the hut. This time he would find it. Without a word to Io, Embrosk sprang to his feet and tore out of the hut, leaving his host perplexed at his large sack of hard-earned books on the floor. Embrosk wandered through the woods, guided not by his eyes or his brain, but simply by the music. He never tripped or stumbled. He simply walked with confidence and a purpose that he felt but did not know. He had to find it. He had to. The music was guiding him somewhere. It promised him something. Was it a great adventure? Some new knowledge? An answer to some ancient question? He doubted it, but... It certainly promised something, and what that was, he did not know. He waited, in fearful anticipation of what he knew was to come. He knew that at some point the chords would stop ringing, and the music would stop playing, and he would feel what he had felt so many times before, a cold sense of loss and grieving that bit into his very soul. As he waited for that inevitable moment, he had a strangely lucid thought drift across his mind. The music, as enchanting as ever, was in some way different. But how it was different, he could not say. His wondrance was cut short by the music's end, which drove a dagger of ice through Ambrosk's heart before he fell to the ground, unconscious. Embrosk heard a faint sound. It seemed like it could be voices, but he could not hear what they were saying. They sounded like they were far away. He strained to hear them. He was able to make out two distinct voices, both low and angry. But who was it? What were they saying? Ambrosk couldn't be sure. They were still a dull echo. He strained his ears and with difficulty was able to make out a few words. Among them were devil, killer, and enchantment. However, without the context of the rest of the conversation, these words were next to useless. As he became more and more frustrated with what he could and could not hear, Ambrose became vaguely aware that his eyes were shut and that he was lying on his back. He wondered how he had gotten there he breathed in deeply and a spicy incense stung his nostrils it wasn't a scent that he recognized with difficulty he forced his eyelids to open to a squint and he noticed that he was in a rounded hut like io's only this one was far larger he was lying on a cot that was less than a foot off the ground As the room came into focus, so did the words of the arguers. He was able to immediately decipher the higher voice as belonging to Io. The lower voice was unfamiliar to him, though he could immediately tell that it belonged to an ogre. "'I'm telling you, he could be useful,' Io growled. "'Help him, and he can help me. "'Kill him, and I'm stuck where I've been for the past ten years. "'Oh, you and your stupid quest!' The other ogre responded with its own growl. You really think that I would help a human for the sake of your quest? The ogre's words dripped with condescension. Yes, Ayo responded. The ogre's of Bodsere may have surrendered to the supremacy of the humans, but we haven't. You are really willing to pass up this opportunity just for the sake of your spite? For the sake of my spite? The other ogre asked incredulous. How about for the sake of your father? How about for the sake of Ference, Kittel, and all of the other ogres who require my services every day just to stay alive? Ambrosch rolled over on his side so he could watch the scene in the dim lighting. Ayo was standing next to the door of the large hut, his long, lanky arms exclaiming wildly, Several feet away from him stood a tall, brown-haired ogre woman, who stood with her hands on her hips, stubbornly shaking her head. Neither of them noticed Embrosk's movement. The woman cocked her head to the side in the manner of a wolf studying its prey. Embrosk noted that the points of her horns had been shaved down to make them rounded and harmless, confirming Embrosk's suspicions that this woman was the Leche of the village. Many ogres in Cadman still had old injuries from the human invasions that decimated the nation village, forcing them to live as hunter-gatherers. The Lechi were healers, one based in every village in Cadmon, and they were responsible for tending the ailments of the old veterans and their other ogre neighbors. Ayo took a step closer to her. He spoke again, but in a lower, quieter voice. The Embroth could just barely make out from where he lay. If I thought he should die, I would have killed him myself. You forget that I have as much reason as anyone to hate humans. Io lightly touched the scars on his face as he said that. Embrosk did not have to cast his imagination very far to imagine what happened there. Humans had always treated ogres, even those that came in peace with an unfathomable barbarism. Still, he was shocked to hear someone who had treated him with such hospitality the night before talking about killing him now. And I'm amazed that you didn't kill him, the female ogre responded. If I were you, I would have. He's a threat to every ogre in the village. Ios snorted. I looked through his bag. He's a potioneer. We can handle a potioner. Okay, fine, she said, with a derisive snort. We won't kill him. But why help him? Could we not torture the information out of him? It's what they would do to you. She motioned to the scars on Io's face as she said this. Ambrosk tensed. He knew how weak he was. He would not survive torture. I'm better than that, Io said softly and Embrask relaxed. I won't resort to torture, even if they will. We need to endear ourselves to him, to find out what he knows and what those books are. We need to help him so he will help us. Channeling more strength than he felt, Embrosk swung his legs over the side of the cot and sat up. This time, Ayo and the woman both turned in his direction. Don't need to torture me, he said quietly. I will help you if you help me. Ayo looked over at his fellow ogre with a triumphant look. The Lechi was slower to accept his word and continued to glare at him. You're a quester, right? Ambrosk said, looking at the young red-headed ogre. One who seeks to restore magic to your kind. Ayo's eyes told Embrosk that he had correctly guessed the nature of the red-haired ogre's quest. I do not have the answer to your question, Embrosk continued. But all of the magical knowledge in my books and in my brain is yours to peruse at will. I will do any translations you need, I will read you any spells, I will demonstrate any potions. I will help you however I can if you are able to help me. The continued to look at him suspiciously. What kind of help would you request of us? I figure we're doing you enough of a favor by leaving you alive. Ambrose breathed in deeply. He had a chance here to throw off the music and return to his king in time. Ambrose loved the music. He loved hearing its sweet chords. He loved the purpose and desire that it filled him with. But this had to end. He had to go home. I need information, Ambrose said, looking up at the Lechi, about the other lost scholars who have ended up in Cadman. There is a force that corrupts my body and impinges upon my free will. It was the force that led me off the trail home, that took me to Io's house, and guided me away from it last night, causing me to abandon my precious books. I believe the other lost scholars were guided by this very same force. I need to know what happened to them. I need to know if they were able to fight it. The Leitchi's face was stony and unreadable. Ambrosk remembered that this same woman had wanted to kill him only minutes before. Her eyes scanned him and he tried to make himself look as small and unintimidating as possible. "'You're a potioner? she asked. Ambrusk nodded. "'And you know how to make healing potions.' Ambrusk nodded again. Healing potions were uncomplicated and constituted the majority of the books that he had with him. "'Very well,' Delight, you said. "'You will brew healing potions for my patients. "'That will be your payment for the harms that your kind has exacted on the ogres of Cadman. The potions will buy your life. You will also help Io on his fool-worthy quest. That will buy you the information that you seek. Ambrosk breathed a sigh of relief and nodded his head in agreement with the deal. In the meantime, you will return to Io's hut, she continued. I will not defile my own with the presence of a human. Tell me when my potions are ready. Now leave she said, motioning to the deer skin flap of her door. Both of you. Embrosk nodded, and on uneven feet, still shaking with exhaustion, he exited the door, following the large, lumbering figure of Io, back towards the hut where he had been the previous night. Io assembled a small sleeping area for Embrosk. Composed of a woven mat made from reeds and a large deer skin. He then informed his guest that he was going out to collect water, food, and firewood, and he strongly suggested that Embrosk try to get some sleep. Embrosk watched as his ogre host swept aside the deerskin door and disappeared out the other side. Embrask laid himself back on the reed mat, chuckling slightly as Io left. He had not slept truly slept in a very long time. His mind was never at peace. Well, except when the music was playing. But now he was awake in spite of the fatigue that ate away at him. Ambrask felt small underneath the large deerskin blanket. He was relatively short, and he had always had a small, wiry frame. But the toll of the last month had made him unrecognizable, His ribs showed clearly through his skin, and his face had adopted a sunken, hollow look. He tried to convince his mind to relax, to lull him into sleep. But, as always, his worrying subconscious did not heed the commands of his conscious mind. He sighed exasperatedly. Well, if he wasn't going to sleep, he might as well read. As he had wandered through the Cadman forest, lost, He had found the books to be his sole source of comfort. Though a true restful sleep had never come over him, the books allowed him to focus his mind. The recipes, no matter how complex, were so simple. Everything he needed was right there on the page. There were no mysteries of disappearing shapeshifters or strange music. All he needed were the runes in the page, and the intellectual prowess required to decipher them. From the time he had left Felon to when he arrived at Io's hut, Embrosk had committed eighteen of the books to memory. He pushed himself up from his mat and shuffled to the bag of books which Io had left at the foot of Embrosk's bed. He felt the urge to look at the letter once again, the letter which started his journey and had opened his eyes the letter which bound him to the human world. He rummaged through it until his fingers closed round the soft leather that protected a small scroll, which he pulled out of the bag. The leather was a simple tube, secured at the top by a button, which Ambrose carefully undid. He sat on the bed before pulling the scroll out of the tube and unfurling it. It was written in simple black ink, scrawled in the messy handwriting of an inept king imbrusque of the lower valley the letter read you have heard i am sure the rumors about my wife which cast shame upon my house and doubts upon the succession there is no way to use the sciences of man or the politics of the court to prove the legitimacy of my heir and i now seek a magical solution one that will prove beyond doubt that my eldest daughter is my own. The wisest and most powerful sorcerers of the great kingdom of Sandom have failed to provide an adequate solution. They assure me that what I ask is impossible, and that I should step aside to my rivals. However, my half-elven counselor, who delivers this letter, tells me that the knowledge does exist, It simply does not exist among humans. The bards have long told of the ancient ogre village of Butzere. It is a savage place, to be sure, but they are well studied in these sorts of magic that could provide a solution to my predicament. While they would never aid a human king outright, I am told that they happily share their knowledge with young, eager scholars of magic. You, Ambroth, a young and impatient man, with talent, despair, and wisdom to gain, will make this journey on my behalf. You will learn the magic needed to reveal the truth of my daughter's lineage. There on Bozzere, you will also gain other skills and other knowledge, knowledge which you will make use of when you return and enter into my employ. I implore you to return with as much haste as you can muster. My need is great but my patience less so. It was signed by His Majesty, the King of Sandum. The king had probably thought himself a genius when he sent his half-elven advisor, Casimir to deliver that letter to the young, poor potioner that lived only a couple miles short of the Cadman border. The text was in short, cramped handwriting, scratched messily in black ink on the stretched animal skin of the scroll. Following the letter's delivery, Embrosk had left immediately, dreaming of his future place in the king's court. But during his time on the mountain, he had discovered something far greater than the king's promised wealth. He had discovered knowledge of history, of lore, of ancient potions, which could purge a man of weakness, hunger, or old age. The world was so much bigger than the cold, damp walls of a castle— and the tunes of a traveling bard. And beneath it all, there was another search, a deeper search, that occupied the soul of the mountain, and soon began to stir Ambrosk's curiosity. He had found the answer to the king's query in his first four months on the mountain. But this other search was one which could change the understanding of magic forever, and it occupied the next four and a half years of Ambrosk's life top Bozzeri, and in that search, Ambrosk had failed. Now he returned to the petty, desperate, and impatient king, ready to act the servant to a lesser man. Oh, look, the night has passed quickly, and the moon is high in the sky. And so, yet again, I must pause the telling of this tale. But fear not. When seven days have passed, we may reunite here by the flickering light of the fire to continue Ambrosk's story. In the meantime, spread the word that this is a place where stories are told. Tell your friends near and far that there is room for them around this hearth so we can continue to tell this wondrous tale of gold, bones, and leather. Before I sign off today, I want to remind all of you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to my website, bensbookshack.com, to check out some of the amazing original artwork that accompanies this podcast. It really helps bring the scenes to life, and it was done by the amazingly talented Celeste Schiff. If you want to see any of her other work, her portfolio is linked in the show notes down below. As always, a major thank you to everyone who helped make this podcast possible. Anais, Tasha, Kira, and Madison, I'm looking at you guys. And last but not least, thank you to all of you guys who are here listening to Ambrose's story. Truly, nothing could make me happier. And I hope that you'll join me next week as I continue to tell this story of gold, bones, and leather. The Gold, Bones, and Leather podcast is brought to you by Ben's Book Shack. Everything that you've heard on this episode, including music, was written, recorded, and edited by me. I can be reached at contact at bensbookshack.com.